Good morning, Gold Avenue Church. We are well into our Advent sermon series, No Word from God Will Fail. What an incredible opening message that was from Pastor Gina, in which we all had our hearts just strengthened in the faithfulness of God, that every word he speaks comes to pass. And so we've been looking at words that he has spoken about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And we've been meditating on those words and seeing them unfold through Scripture so that we can be more gospel literate, more um, able to share who Jesus is with others. And so we've seen Jesus as Son of God, Jesus as Lord, and last week Jesus as Horn of Salvation, that strong one who's able to bring about and accomplish God's purposes. This morning, we're looking at Jesus is Messiah, or Anointed One. Jesus is Messiah. And our text will be from Luke 2, verse 1 to 14. But before we read that, would you pray with me? Lord, we love your word. Your word is so rich, and it is so deep and that's because it's an expression of you and in all of your wisdom and your creativity and your your faithfulness you've woven together this this story in which you reveal yourself to us in which you come to us in which you show us what you are like and um, to all who have ears to hear you give to eat and drink from your word. You feed us. You strengthen us. You you comfort us. You warn us. You prepare us. You encourage us. And so, Lord, this morning, we come to you and we come to your word with what you call us to come with. Trembling, reverence, and eager expectation that you'll speak to us. Even though we may have questions of your word, we, we come with a an attitude of trust that you are who you say you are. You are faithful. And every word you speak comes to pass. And so, Lord, this morning we pray, give us insight and understanding into what it means that you are called Messiah. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, again, our our text for this morning comes from Luke 2. We're carrying on. Last week was uh, Zechariah's song. He burst into prophecy after John was named and he was given speech again. And um, John grows. John becomes strong in spirit. He lives in the wilderness and he begins to minister in, in publicly in Israel. And then we move to chapter 2 and it reads, In those days, so when John's ministering, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, 
The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, I've just uh, recently read a novel called Jerusalem Vigil. And uh, Jerusalem Vigil is a fictional story about post-World War II Jews who've survived the Holocaust and are arriving on the shores of what's about to become the state of Israel. So devastated families, each with empty places around the table and stomach-turning stories of suffering, arrive one after the other with little more than the clothes on their back. Each of them nurses the slim hope of finding a place where the title Jew will not bring condescension, hatred, and further attempts to snuff out their lives. Healing is not even on their radar. They just want to live. And at the center of this story, this community, these people that are returning are Jacob and Lori Kalner. A childless couple, they've been separated for eight long years. He in an island prison camp, and she in London, England, surviving the terror of nightly bombing raids for years. Finally reunited and yet barely recognizing each other, they're both experiencing deep turmoil as their ship docks at Tel Aviv. They barely set foot upon the shore when they're promptly re-separated. Jacob is drafted into the fledgling Israeli army that's fighting for its life to defend a state the UN has recently granted them from enraged Arab neighbors. And Lori is immediately pressed into duty as a nurse. The story follows Lori and, and she seems only half alive as she wanders from patient to patient and from clinic to the front lines and back. At times, Lapsing into a dreamlike state, Lori's heart and mind regularly drift back to London and the nightly bombing raids. And then the reader learns they haven't always been childless. They had a son, a young toddler, and he was crushed by the falling debris of an explosion. And Lori lay with him, and Lori cradled him, and Lori has been longing for him. Ever since, in the eyes of every young child, she now sees her own, and it haunts her. 
She lives with a soul-throbbing ache to cuddle her boy once more, to see his bright smile and hear his curious and bubbly voice, to wipe his big tears and hold his hand as they walk through London streets. But Laurie's hopes and Laurie's dreams are futile, like grasping at the wind, and Laurie is left with the pain of unfulfilled longing, a deep, unrelenting longing that's like a microcosm of all this world's longing. In Lori we see the reflection of every woman who has yearned to carry and every man who's longed to have a child. Every grandparent who's longed to be nearer to and to be able to see and to play with their grandchildren, to see their grandchildren flourish. Every parent who's wept over an estranged son or daughter crying out for their return and breaking over the brokenness and the fruit of rebellion. Every person who's longed for the joy and intimacy of marriage only to be kept from it, whether by singleness or divorce, by war or injustice. We see these in Laurie's yearning, but we also see all kinds of unfulfilled human longing. We see hunger for reconciliation in relationships that remain distant, cold, and unhealed, desire for a deeper sense of purpose and satisfaction, groaning for old hurts and wounds to stop aching, yearning for the day when worry and anxiety are no longer close companions, the wish to be able to simply love ourselves with the same love we hear God has for us, so much longing. As a church family, I think we long for the day when we can gather for worship again, when we don't have to wear masks and stay separate and we can all hug each other without thinking, when all the realities of this year are a distant memory. This year has been hard. But really, friends, this life is hard. All across the earth, From every part of the human family, there is a groaning, a deep longing, a yearning for a fullness of peace and of joy and of rightness and of goodness for which we were created. And so all across the earth, we hear cries of unfulfilled longing. The peasants of North Korea cry out under the oppression of a dictator who demands their worship. The untouchables of India cry out under a system that removes their dignity and consigns them to an existence of shame, filth, and poverty. The masses of Africa cry out under the weight of corruption, disease, civil war, famine, and premature death. Europe cries out silently, cries silently under the weight of a godless emptiness. The poor of Central America cry out from under the weight of injustice and poverty, longing only for a place of peace in which to raise their children. The rich of America, most of us, long for more than full bellies, full schedules, and full entertainment lineups. Everywhere, friends, the world groans with unfulfilled longing, with searching and asking, who can bring us peace? How can we ensure we're all fed? Is there any way to permanently end war? What about healing disease? How do we protect against evil? No amount 
of human effort, human ingenuity, or human confidence has been able to deliver us from our unfulfilled longings, from the effects of evil, of sin, and from death. And yet, friends, history reads like a roll call of kings and politicians, philosophers, religious leaders, and TV infomercials promising they'll solve our woes, heal our hurts, fill our bellies, and make the world a place of peace and flourishing. All Messiah figures of one sort or another. Most of them plead for our attention, trying to peddle their version of heaven, while some of them speak with guns and bombs, imposing their leadership on as many as able. But the result with all of them is the same, a trail of tears, of heartache, of unfulfilled longing and emptiness, a giving birth to the wind, an inability to bring about the heaven on earth we each seek because they cannot undo the curse of sin. They cannot defeat evil. They cannot overcome death. In the face of sin, evil, and death, each of these would-be messiahs are impotent, unable to rescue the world or fulfill her longings. And friends, all of this, all of the world's unfulfilled longing is deeply present in our text this morning. As Joseph and Mary, swelling with child, travel over 80 miles on foot to satisfy the demands of a conquering emperor, they are reminded with each laborious step that Israel is not free. That despite Israel's 70-year exile for disobedience being long, long over, many of God's promises to them remain unfulfilled. They've been delivered from exile, but they've not been delivered from the reason for their exile in the first place. They're still a wayward people, few of whom genuinely seek the Lord. Nor has evil been defeated. They are weak and defeated subjects of a people who mock both them and their God. It seems that though they've returned, the Lord has not returned to Zion or Jerusalem with them. His Holy Spirit, whom Ezekiel pictures as lifting from the temple, has not restored his presence. The promised future outpouring that's to bring a change of hearts from stone into soft has not come to pass. And neither has Isaiah's promise of a God-sent deliverer who will lead God's people into a golden age of righteousness and justice and pure worship. A king to sit on David's throne, a prophet greater than Moses to bring God's word, and a priest who will open a fountain of spiritual cleansing. These and so many other prophecies all find their focus on a long-awaited Messiah. Messiah is a word that's used only twice in the whole Old Testament, both in Daniel 9, but which is bundled heavy 
with the combined weight of all God's promises to save and deliver, to cleanse, to heal, to defeat evil, to renew and restore all things. All the promises, all the weight, all of the longing on one person, an anointed one, a Messiah who is set apart to fulfill all God's purposes and all the earth's longings. And in the centuries preceding Jesus' birth, many a Jew tried to lead Israel in fulfilling God's purposes, assuming a form of kingship, rallying others to themselves and attempting to overthrow Rome, retake the temple and cleanse it. They knew the prophecies, and each one fought with all their strength to fulfill them. And yet each would-be Messiah is unable to fulfill God's promises or the world's longings. And each one is accompanied by a trail of tears and blood. And so on this evening, as Joseph and Mary reach Bethlehem and Mary's time has come, both Israel and the world groan heavy under the weight of unfulfilled longing. And these questions remain unanswered. Who can possibly bring about God's deliverance? Who can fulfill all of God's promises? Who can rescue? Who can satisfy unfulfilled longing? The world waits in this moment for a Messiah who is truly set apart for and able to completely save and deliver, who will not falter, but who will see God's will through to the end. And finally, finally, as Mary groans through one long last push, and tiny little Yeshua, Jesus, takes his first breath, an angel of the Lord appears before a group of shivering shepherds out in the field and announces, He's here! He's here! I've got the most amazing news that's for the whole world. Today, in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You'll find this Messiah wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What? A baby Messiah? And before the shepherds can think, the sky is ablaze with a great company of angels worshiping the Lord, who is bringing his Messiah into the earth in most surprising fashion. God himself joined to humanity a baby, a baby upon whom rests the hopes and fears of all the years. The hopes and fears of all the years, as the song says, every unfulfilled human longing, every promise made by God, all the need for rescue, for deliverance, for healing, for restoration, all resting on this tiny baby's shoulders.
What a weight these shoulders carry. And yet Jesus, as he grows up, bears that weight so faithfully and fully. Anointed by the Holy Spirit in his baptism, Jesus comes out of the desert full of the love and the power of God, restoring hope and fulfilling longings as he binds up broken hearts, as he releases healing to sick bodies, casts out tormenting spirits, and brings really, really good news to all who receives him. Says John, he gives the right to become children of God. Jesus, Messiah, anointed to bring God's kingdom and God's presence to the earth through his ministry, anointed to overturn the kingdom of darkness with each interaction he has. Listen to Peter as he preaches to Cornelius' gathered family about Jesus. You know the message God has sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus, Messiah, anointed to bring life, anointed to demonstrate what God is really like, anointed to do God's will as no one had, anointed to reconnect a broken and wounded, sinful and rebellious human family with the God and Father who created them, who loves them, and who longs to redeem them. And so Jesus is also anointed to die. Anointed by Mary Magdalene, prostitute-turned-disciple, who lavishes her love upon Jesus in the form of expensive perfume. Anointed, set apart for death, but a death which brings life. A death in which Jesus, Messiah, carries the weight of the world upon his shoulder. A death and a resurrection through which Jesus delivers a crushing blow to evil, disarming the powers of darkness as his shed blood delivers us from the exile of sin and reconnecting us with God the Father as he ascends to heaven and pours out his spirit. Jesus, anointed to reign, the government or the dominion shall be on his shoulder, says Isaiah. And so it is, as the risen, exalted Lord Jesus assumes a throne in heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth is handed to him. He's anointed to reign and he must reign, until all God's enemies are made a footstool for his feet, says Psalm 110, the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. Until all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God, only Jesus can bear this weight. Jesus is the Messiah. 
Jesus is God's anointed and reigning king who crushes evil, who delivers from the exile of sin, and who reconnects humanity with God the Father, who has brought the kingdom of God in part and who will bring it in his fullness. Jesus, the Messiah, the only one who is able to fulfill all God's purposes and all our longings. Jesus is the only one who can bear that weight. Jesus and no other. Christ, which means my Messiah, really is the answer to every human longing, to every unfulfilled desire, every yearning, every groaning, every need. Again, Jesus is the only one who can and does crush evil, who delivers from the exile of sin, who reconnects us to God the Father and fulfills our good desires as we put our trust in him. And so today, church family, lift up your hearts to the Lord Jesus. Place all of your trust in the Lord Maybe there's somebody listening this morning who says, you know, I've heard about Jesus. I've known much about him, but I've never actually placed my trust in him. I've never actually lifted up my soul to him and asked him to deliver me from the exile of sin and to restore me to relationship with God the Father. If that's you, I just invite you right now this morning to turn to Jesus. Lift up your soul to him and say, Lord, me too. Save me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. For all of us who've already placed our trust in the Lord, I I invite us again to renew that trust this morning, to place our trust for, for every promise, every unfulfilled longing, everything in Jesus as Messiah. All our expectations, all our pain, our questions, our desired, our unfulfilled longings, lift them all up to the only one who is able to bring about God's purposes, the only anointed one who could carry the weight, and the one who says, I am making all things new. Fix all of your hope, all of your longing on Jesus, who alone can satisfy, and who will not stop short of bringing his kingdom in its fullness. He has come, And he will come again to renew all things. He will come again to judge the living and the dead and to rid the earth of evil once for all. He will come again to complete the cleansing and the renewing. He is Messiah. Pour out your longings to him who longs to fill you with hope. Even amidst the brokenness of this world, so that you can overflow with hope by the power of His Holy Spirit. So that every time someone else shares with you one of their unfulfilled longings, one of their pains, one of their dashed hopes, one of their sin struggles, their disillusionment, their whatever it is, you can then lift their eyes up to Jesus Messiah, the one anointed to rescue the world, And share the certain hope we have in him. An eternal hope. An indestructible hope. A hope 
that is able to bring peace and joy no matter the circumstance. Do this, remembering that you bear his name, Christian. And so you share in his anointing. And do this, friends, with awe in your hearts, remembering that the anointed one left the glory of heaven and for nine months took up residence in Mary's womb so that when the time came, Mary did not give birth to wind, but to God himself, God with us, God among us, God here to save and to rescue because he loves us that much. Never, never forget the cost and never forget the depth of his love. And worship, 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 worship Jesus Messiah, the Lord.